Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Hey, we're going to be taking communion this morning. And so if you've placed your faith in Christ um, and you did not grab one of these on your way in, uh, feel free to, at some moment here, starting right now, to uh, head back. Jeff's got a little tray there if you'd like to go grab that. Um, some of you I know grabbed it, some of you guys might not have, but we're going to be celebrating uh, communion here. Uh, actually in the middle of the message, so towards the end of the message, it'll be good. Uh, so we had a great day yesterday. First of all, I know she doesn't really want me to do this, but isn't it great to have Kelly up there, you know, singing away? Yeah. So one of the neat things uh, as we grow as a church, uh, God continues to provide people from our church to be involved in our ministries. And um, so Peter, the drummer, uh, he still comes up from Fremont. And we're, we're figuring out ways to capture you and make you move here, just so you know. We love you. That's all I'm saying. Um, but he actually works nights, and so he comes right from work here to drum for us. So appreciate him doing that. But again, we, we used to rely a lot on Fremont, and um, we're not having to do that as much as we used to. So it's good, good stuff. We also had a great time yesterday at our REACH class. It's a class that... Um, talks about how to share your faith, how to share the gospel in a very um, personal and uh, hopefully kind of an easy way, just kind of living your life. And um, the cool thing about this particular one is this, this round of core classes, this was the second most attended class that we have. Usually, you know, you have the Connect class, which is our membership class, and that usually has the most people. And then you do the Grow class, and there's a few less people. And then you do the serve class, and then there's a few less people. And then you have the reach class, which is Christians sharing their faith, which kind of makes some people nervous. So that's usually the smaller of the class, but this was the second most attended. Uh, so that's awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we've made it to Thursday in the greatest week uh, in history. And we're joining up with Jesus and the disciples as they make their way to the upper room to have Passover. And uh, so we've seen so far, as we've been going through, uh, we actually did Monday out of John, but in Matthew 21, 1 through 17, it's Monday, and Jesus has arrived into Jerusalem. Everyone's cheering. You know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He clears the temple, heals a bunch of more people. He angers the religious people some more, religious leaders, you know, just not liking Jesus at all. And at the end of the day, he heads back to Bethany. It's kind of where he's hanging out when he's not in Jerusalem. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. On Tuesday, which covers Matthew 21, 16 through 26, 2. So that's a, a, a lot of time. A lot of teaching is going on on Tuesday. He enters Jerusalem. He gets confronted by the religious leaders. Then he turns around. He warns the people of the religious leaders' uh, hypocrisy. He calls them snakes. He calls them whitewashed sepulchers. In other words, they, they look really good on the outside, but inside they're full of sin, they're full of deceit and hypocrisy. You know how to win friends and influence people, right? So Jesus is really trying to connect with these guys. Then he heads out to the Mount of Olives. He's uh, teaching on the end times, on the need for people to watch for his return. And then he reminds them that he's going to be handed over to be crucified in a couple of days. Wednesday, it's um, maybe an off day. I don't know. There's not a whole lot about what Jesus does on Wednesday, certainly not in Matthew. But in, in Matthew, I did it again. I didn't, I said Matthew 12. God, I tell you, 
That should be Matthew 26, 3 through 16. I'm having some issues with my 12s and 26s. So Matthew 26, 3 through 16, fills in some key details uh, leading up to Thursday. So in 3 through 5, we find out that the religious leaders are meeting together to figure out how they're going to arrest Jesus and how they're going to kill him. That would be a great meeting that would have been. And then Matthew 26, 6 through 13 is actually a flashback to what happened the previous week. And so John tells us about it in John 12. <clears throat> but Matthew's actually flashing back uh, and explains why it was that Judas kind of set him over the edge and why he's going to go ahead and betray Jesus. It had to do with a, um, some perfume, some um, anointing oil that Mary puts on Jesus, and it's very expensive. And they're all like, hey, you could take that and you could sell it and give the money to the poor. We find out from John that, uh, that the reason why Judas wanted it in their money box, it was because he actually would steal from that, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing. Here's one of Jesus' disciples stealing from Jesus' ministry. Uh, so 14 through 16 talks about Judas heading off to talk to the religious leaders. And then Matthew 26, 17 through 75 is the rest of what happens on Thursday. We're not going to cover all of those. We're going to start in um, verse 17, though, and just go to about verse 30. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn over there to Matthew 26, not Matthew 12, Matthew 26. And we'll pick up the events there of Thursday morning. The disciples are asking Jesus, hey, where do you want to do the Passover meal? So let me go ahead and we'll jump right into it. You ready? Thanks, Bill. And Rob, I think Rob's ready. The two guys down here, they're ready. You can tell because they're in the front row. <laughs> now, on the first day of unleavened bread, which is a festival that's connected with the Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. What I want to do this morning, I want to give some, um, just some basic information about the Passover, and, and then what happened in Jesus' day, and then actually um, how the Passover meal was eaten, because I think it plays into what happens later on as we read. So what's the, what's the Passover? Some of you guys know this, some of you may not, but the Passover happened at first, it was... Um, as Israel was enslaved in Egypt, and God said, hey, I'm going to judge Egypt, and that's the last judgment, this last plague uh, will cause you to be released. But for me, I want you guys to take the, the blood of this lamb that you're going to kill. It's, a, it's an unblemished lamb. It's a perfect lamb, white coat, no problems with it. And you're to take the lamb, and you're to sacrifice that lamb, and then you're to roast it, and you're, then you'll eat that lamb, but you're going to put the blood up on the posts of your home. Then they were to eat some bitter roots or bitter fruit or bitter herbs. Um, and it represented for them the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. Once they're out of Egypt, it then changes a little bit and it turns into the, the bitterness of their sin. All right. And so that's kind of representing that. And then they're supposed to eat unleavened bread. Now, leaven in the Bible um, for those who are not bakers, it helps bread rise. But it has this, um, it carries the idea of influence. 
And so in the Bible, normally it's referencing evil influence or sinful influence. And so leaven in that sense is bad. It's good in bread, but bad if it's talking about sin in our lives. And so Israel was to eat this unleavened bread because they were making a statement and reminding themselves, listen, we, want to, we don't want to have the influence of Egypt on us anymore. We want to live holy, obedient lives to God. After they were out, it kind of changed a little bit, and it was more general to this idea of we don't want to be living in sin. We don't want to be disobeying God. And so we're demonstrating that by eating unleavened bread because we want to live this holy life, not influenced by sin, but influenced by God. And then the blood on the doorposts, they were to do that because God said, if you do that, I'm going to pass over you. That's the name Passover. Or I'm going to protect you from the coming judgment on Egypt. And so this is kind of key. In fact, I was just having this conversation with somebody this morning in the lobby. It was, it's key because it's not the blood of the animal that saved them. It was them trusting what God said about the blood. And so when, they, when, they said, when God said, hey, I'm going to put it up on the doorpost, and then I'm going to pass over, I'm going to protect you, I won't judge you. They placed their faith in what God said about that blood, which then caused him to pass over them or to protect them and go ahead and judge um, Egypt. Coming out of that then, it was in reference to their sin that God would protect them from the judgment that he would have on their sin. Again, not the blood that saved them, but what God said about that blood. So the, uh, Jesus and the disciples are, are faithful Jewish men, and so they're going to celebrate the Passover. And so in, in Jesus' day, according to the law, Jesus would have, um, and the disciples would have picked out the lamb that they were going to sacrifice on Monday. So Monday when he came into Jerusalem, he would have somehow at some point picked out the lamb that they were going to sacrifice. Some estimates have that up to 250,000 lambs would have been sacrificed in a two-hour period. I mean, can you imagine what that would look like, what that would smell like? I mean, we got some lamb going, no, I guess not lamb, right? it's a pig right there. Um, and we got some thing going, that smells pretty good. I don't know if it smelled that good. Um, but yeah, some estimates, 200, if it was 100,000, that would be crazy. But they had to do it, according to the law, they had to do it in a two-hour period of time. So there's a massive amount of blood flowing off the altar, out of the temple, down the hill, into the brook that's at the bottom of the Kidron Valley. They said that that creek would just run for days red because of the amount of blood that only happened within two hours. It's, a, it's a, an incredible reminder, number one, of, of how God views our sin. That sin is, is costly. 250,000 lambs, you could have sold those for some good money. But it's also an incredible illustration of the sacrifice because Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the Lamb of God. And Isaiah talks about it, Jeremiah talks about it, um, John the Baptist in John chapter 1, he said, behold, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so as this is happening, hopefully disciples and others are getting the understanding, oh, this, this is what Jesus is talking about. But what's involved in the Passover Meal. Again, I think it's important for us to understand that because um, 
in this Passover meal is where God then, uh, Jesus then changes some of the elements of Passover into what we call today communion. He changes the definition or maybe expands the definition, however you want to call it. And so there's, uh, there's seven steps or so to it. You may say eight if you want to say the singing as they walked out. But So the first step is that they would have a prayer of thanks. So as they got together, Jesus and disciples, they would have got together. And Jesus being the kind of the head of the group, uh, normally it would be the father, but in this case, head of the group. Uh, he prayers as a prayer of thanks. And then they share in their first cup of twice diluted wine. The reason why they did that is because they didn't want anybody getting drunk during this, right? They didn't want people partying. This wasn't a partying time. This was a, rem- this was a time to remember what God had done for Israel. And then they would have a ceremonial washing of hands, and it demonstrated their understanding that they, have, they are clean and holy, that God has made them clean and holy. Then they would take the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread, and they would dip it into kerosene, and it's a mixture of nuts and fruit. So they would take that and Again, the, the bitter herbs would reference um, their sin and remind them of their sin and how that is bitter. It's not something that God wants in their life. It's not something that they should want in their life. And then the unleavened bread would be saying, we want to live this holy life, this obedient life before God. Then they had a second cup of wine followed by the father telling the Passover story. So most likely they had that second wine and, and Jesus would have told the Passover story. That would be followed by the singing of the Hallel, which is the praise portions of Psalm 113 through 118. If you've been here every week, Psalm 118 keeps coming up, right? This is a big part of the Passover. Uh, And maybe for us too, it'd be good for us to be reading those Psalms and getting a better handle on uh, the Passover and what Jesus was talking about. Then they would eat the roasted lamb along with the unleavened bread, something that the Father would then pass out. And then they finished with the third cup, of wine called the, the cup of blessing. And it's probably in, the, in step six and seven that the following conversation and this initiation of communion occurred. So you want to read what Jesus says at this time. And it's, if you can get your imagination going and thinking in the cartoon mind, if you can, about what happens here, it's, it's kind of interesting. He says, now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the, with the 12 disciples. So there's 13 guys. They're all hanging around this table. They're not sitting like you guys are doing right now. They're laying. One, you know, propped up on an elbow. Their feet, of course, because they stink, are because they wore sandals, not nice shoes like we have, right? So their feet are away, and they're eating together. They're talking. 13 guys talking. There's a conversation going on. This isn't some quiet, somber thing where everyone's just kind of contemplating. This is 13 guys sitting around talking. It would have been like if you were in our reach class yesterday when I had to step out and take a phone call and I came back in and the people in the reach class were like yelling their heads off. I mean, it was just like huge conversation going on. I didn't even want to know what was going on. It had something to do with Stan and Bill and that was all I needed to know. So <laughs> anyways, as they were eating, he said, truly, so he drops his bomb on them. He says, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each began to say to him, so all at the same time, this is kind of key to understand. Again, we sterilize these these stories. It's not um, one person saying, you know, surely not I, Lord. You know, Peter, surely not I, Lord. 
And then it's ever quiet, and here's John. Surely not I, Lord. And it's quiet, and here's Matthew. Surely not I, Lord. It's, not a, it's all 12 of the guys going, wait, what? Wait. Wait, somebody's going to betray you? We've been with you for three years. Somebody in your closest circle of friends, of ministry team is going to betray you? It's not me, is it? It's not, it's not me. They're all saying this. In fact, Luke tells us, well, let me, let me finish up. I always get ahead of it. get excited about these things. And he answered, he who dipped his hand with me in a bowl is the one who will betray me. Does that help? Does that help clarify? No, it doesn't help clarify. Why? Because everybody has dipped their hand in the bowl, right? That's how they eat. So the, then he goes on, the son of man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So these disciples are grieved, but it doesn't turn into mourning. It turns into an argument. They're all talking at the same time, saying, it's not me, Jesus, right? It's not me. It can't be me. And then they start turning to each other. Luke in uh, chapter 22 tells us this turns into an argument over who's the, who's the, uh, the, the best person, who's the most servant type person of Jesus' group? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And you can kind of see this happening, right? Twelve guys all saying, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And then one guy says, well, it certainly wasn't me. I mean, like, when we were feeding the 5,000, I carried most of the baskets. What did you do? You didn't do anything. You were all sitting there talking to everybody about how good the fish tasted. Well, I, yeah, I did that, but when we were healing some people, man, I made sure that people were flowing to Jesus. I had them come in, and he was healing them, and I was moving them around, and I, was, I had the most people healed that day. And so I, I'm definitely not the one. And they got into this big argument over who's the greatest. And Jesus puts a stop to it. I mean, imagine Jesus is going to die in the cross here in a day or so. He's going to have his body shredded. And these guys are wondering about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus shuts down the argument and says, listen, the, the greatest is going to be the one who's the most humble <laughs> and the one who can serve the greatest. Well, during the heated discussion, uh, Jesus then says, let me just clarify, it's the person who dipped their hand in the bowl with me. Like I just said, everyone dipped their hand in the bowl. So what do you think Jesus is saying there? All of them will betray him. And isn't that what happened? I don't want to give you too much of the story, but you can read ahead, and we're going to talk more about it next week. But when Jesus is arrested, it says the disciples scattered. Peter followed, then Peter denied. Every one of the disciples, in a sense, betrayed Jesus, turned their back on him, and ran. Jesus says, hey, listen, whether there was a betrayal or not, doesn't matter because this is the plan. This has been God's plan that God the Son would put on flesh, that he would live this perfect life, die on the cross, and rise again for our sin. That was the plan. That's going to happen, no matter who betrays who or what, because God is the only one. God the Son is the only one who can give us a complete and permanent substitute for our sin. It didn't stop the person from having a terrible judgment, as Jesus points out, but Betrayal or not, it was going to happen. And then in the end, while the conversation's still going on, Judas and Jesus, they catch eyes with each other, and Judas says, it's not I, is it, Rabbi? 
Now, he had to do that, right? Because if he didn't say anything, everybody would be like, hey, Judas hasn't asked a question. You know, maybe he's the one. So he has to ask the question, and Jesus confirms, yeah, that's, that's like what you said. You'd be the one who will betray me. So then Jesus lets things settle down, and then he moves to initiate what we call communion. And he's, he's taking a couple elements. He's taking the unleavened bread, and he's taking the wine, and he's redefining them. He's changing them because God had used them in a certain way back in the Old Testament, the old covenant, the, the old agreement that he had, but he's going to be making this new covenant, this new agreement with mankind. And so things are changing. They're being redefined. And so let's see what he has to say about the, the unleavened bread. It says, while they were eating, everything kind of calms down. Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So remember, the unleavened bread, back in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Exodus and then into Jesus' day, was reminding them that through God, that they could have this holy and obedient life, that they didn't want to be influenced by sin anymore. They didn't want to be influenced by other people. They want to be influenced by God. And so this was a reminder to them. And what Jesus is saying, that's what that used to mean. But now what it means, this bread, this unleavened bread, it's my body. In other words, if you want to be holy before God, if you want to be right with God, if you want to live an obedient life, that only happens through me. Through your faith in me is the only way you're going to have forgiveness, become holy, and live out a holy life. Here's the deal. Communion doesn't save us. To, to take communion does not save us. There's, there's nothing spiritual in these two elements. They represent something. They represent the body of Christ. And so we take it as a, as a remembrance or as a celebration of the truth that it's Jesus who is the one who makes us holy. It's Jesus who's the one who helps us to be obedient. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to take that opportunity with you all and we'll take the bread together. Now let me just say a couple things first of all and you can take the lid off your the right make sure you take the right lid off because if you take the juice off it's going to pour all over yourself. So this is this is something um, that God says that only those who have placed their faith in Christ should be doing. Uh, again, it's not something that saves us. It's something that we do to remember what Christ has done for us. You don't need to be a member of Grace Point Church uh, to take this community, but you do need to be a member of God's family, and that only happens through faith in Christ. So if, if you're not uh, a follower of Christ, you haven't placed your faith in Christ, we just ask you to, to refrain from taking it. We don't usually ask you to do that and anything, but this we do because it's, it's so special. So as Jesus talked about that he... He took the bread, and then he gave a blessing. So let me go ahead and pray, and afterwards we'll take the bread together. Heavenly Father, um, we just want to thank you so much for uh, the plan that you put into place that God the Son became flesh, became human, and as such lived the perfect life that you then credit to us by faith and 
then died on the cross in order to have our sins forgiven and allow us to be holy, allow us to be right with you, to give us the ability and the power to live obedient lives. It only comes through Jesus. And we want to thank you for that. We don't deserve it. It's out of your grace and out of your love and out of your mercy. And we want to thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take the bread together. Well, after taking the bread then, he took the cup. So let's see how that transpired. So when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, this new covenant, new agreement, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We have to come back next week to find out what happened there. But in the Passover meal, the blood represented the blood of the lamb, an actual lamb. And again, it allowed God in Exodus, it allowed God to protect Israel from his coming judgment and to judge Egypt. Coming out of that, it was referencing their sin, and, and them putting that up on their, they understood that God was going to look over their sin to protect them from coming judgment because of their sin. And what Jesus is now saying is that that wine is no longer referencing the lamb, because a lamb can't really die for a man. And so Jesus said, that is now going to be my blood, the perfect God-man. 100% God, 100% man, that, this is something new. This is a, a new thing that I'm doing. And so that blood represents my blood. Animals, they had to be killed over and over and over and over again. Several times a year, they had to be killed. Again, up, possibly up to 250,000 of them. And it had to happen all the time. Because it wasn't what was going to ultimately bring forgiveness, complete and eternal forgiveness. Jesus was going to do that. God was going to do that himself. And he's the only one who could do that himself. The author of Hebrews sums it up pretty clearly. It says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest, so he's our high priest. We don't need, I'm not your priest. You know, we don't need priests because we got Christ as our high priest. So he's a high priest of the good things to come, this new covenant, this new agreement. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation. It's something that's in heaven. It's not human made. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And not through the blood of goats and calves. That's the old covenant. That's the old agreement. But through his own blood this new agreement. And he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands. He didn't go to a physical altar. He didn't go to a, a physical temple. He didn't kill some physical lamb. He went directly to heaven. Those things are a mere copy of the true one. 
but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's what Jesus did for us. That's something only God could do for us. There's no other way to receive forgiveness of sin. There's no other way to have complete forgiveness from God and and something that will last for eternity. It's an eternal redemption. It's something that God has done for us. And so by doing that, God caused, or Jesus caused God to be able to forgive us if we would ask for it completely and eternally. Jesus said that he's not going to drink it again with us until he comes back and he sets up his kingdom that the Bible tells us, again, kind of blow your mind type thing, but Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set up a kingdom for a period of a thousand years and it's then that he's going to have communion with us. But for now, we take it, we take it as a remembrance We take it as a celebration that the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and secured for us forgiveness of our sins. So let me pray and then let's take the cup together as that remembrance. Again, Heavenly Father, we we thank you for um, this new new covenant, this new agreement, this, um, this choice that you made to become flesh and to dying across for us, and then to rise again, which we'll celebrate next week, in order to have our sins forgiven, in order to, to be holy and to be obedient and to have that relationship with you. Again, you didn't need to do that, but you love us, you care about us, you want a relationship with us, and so you took the ultimate sacrifice, and only you, an infinite, infinitely powerful God, can die an infinite death for each and every one of our individual sins. And so we thank you for that, and we remember that as we take the juice together in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take it together. Well, I'm going to ask the band to, to come up. Um, it says that Jesus and the disciples, they, they sang a hymn, and then they went out. And so we're going to take that opportunity to Uh, Sing together one last bit of one of the songs that we sang before. And as they come, let me just just close this in prayer again. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for the opportunity we have to come together as a church family. And and we're united in Christ. We are are one in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I would pray if there's anybody in this room that hasn't placed their faith in Christ, who hasn't given their life to you and received your forgiveness of their sins through faith in Christ, that that they would understand that, that your Holy Spirit would give them understanding, that they would make that that choice, that take that step of faith and have that conversation with you. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us in Christ's name. Amen.